Hi, welcome to BCI CalChat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us listening today and happy to have a full crew in here. Brian? Good morning, Brad. Dustin? Hey, Brad. Bob? Well, hello. And Philip? Hey, Brad. We're all here to talk about a couple things that hopefully are relevant to you. Is we're going to talk about the impact of some of the higher input prices, which everybody has felt from the grocery store to their beef operation. And Dustin's going to give us some insight on that, as well as talking about body condition score and cows. Is now the right time to do it? Does it tell us anything? Are we going to be able to make some different management decisions? And we'll wrap up by talking some about needle sizes. Before we get into those topics, I want to remind you, if you have a question, thought, comment you'd like us to discuss, you can certainly email us at bci at ksu.edu. And I actually brought a question for you guys today. So we, we do a lot of things with electronics. We have a lot of handheld electronics like our phones. But I want to ask you a different question. I want to ask you, when you were a kid, what was your favorite handheld toy that was not electronic based or did not have a battery well i don't know if this is what you were thinking of my bb gun i spent a lot of times carrying that around in my hands and it was a lot of fun my cousins and i would do all kinds of things that probably shouldn't repeat excellent philip i guess Man, handheld, that makes it tough. Wait, Etch-a-Sketch? Yeah, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> that counts, Etch-a-Sketch. Can, if I throw it, does it count? Yeah. Yard darts. Yard Definitely. Darts. Yeah, yeah. Yard, darts. yard darts. Never find them in the store today, but yeah, we, we actually did play a lot of yard darts. I think there's probably good reasons you can <laughs> find those in the store today. So in my hand, it would have been a throttle, right? <laughs> <laughs> Three-wheeler. <laughs> My three-wheeler, man. We're out there riding my three-wheeler all the time. Leave it, leave it to the economist to skirt the rules. <laughs> Go back to, we'll count that the three-wheeler. We wanted to talk a little bit about input prices. And I know there's been some, some information as everybody has talked about how they've gone up. But let's talk about it specific for beef producers. And there was a good chart put out by the USDA Economic Research Service. And they looked at some of the differences in how those input prices are affecting beef producers. And I know you've got some thoughts on this. Yeah, so the US, USDA Economic Research Service put out this nice little figure uh, looking at, I believe it was different feedstuff prices and how they've gone up over, you know, since 2012. In this figure, they talked briefly about, you know, beef prices at the retail level were expected to go up 6 or 7%. But then uh, if you start looking at some of the feedstuffs, they were projected to go up much higher. So I dug a little deeper, pulling some prices. Just again, this would have been national prices, but just from this year alone. So between January 22 and I think it was June or July, hay's been up 17%. Corn was up 32%. Pulled diesel price. That was up, any guesses since January? 50. 50. Yeah, I was going to say 45%. 45? 40, 40. 60. It was uh, about, it was almost 55%. So yeah. 55. So Talking about all these input prices, how they have been going up. I mean, we can also talk about the beef prices have been a little bit higher as well, but, and that's what, you know, you see the output prices going up, but we talked about these input prices. We've talked about drought as well as another impact that's driving some of those up as well. So do we think then, Dustin, since beef prices or the beef we're producing right now or the calves that are on the ground are not going to hit the retail market for another year, we think beef prices are going to continue to go up over the next year to compensate for this increase in input prices now. So there's a few things I think driving some of the prices. Right now we're seeing cow slaughter, uh, and why and some of that's probably being driven by the current drought. Drought. Uh, so if you think about the future, even the calves now, or even the heifers that would have been, I think we are short run. We're probably seeing more calves in the feedlot. We will. 
uh, or you know beef supplies up but in the future I think we'll probably start to see uh, a decline which wouldn't keep uh, prices inflated decline in number of cattle which will put our prices up even right. higher potentially especially yeah. as the herd size is decreasing with the drought and having some of these input prices doesn't doesn't help now it makes me want to cull anything that's not highly productive and uh, so absolutely and and you said that that report went through like july yeah i think that came out in july that was like a little figure that came out in july yeah is it you know it just seems like july is kind of old news right now like all the changes that are happening with you know, weather and hay shortages and, like you said, surplus cow slaughter and stuff. So do you have any, I guess, re-predictions with all knowing just even the last three months' worth of information or two months' worth of information? Well, some of those numbers that I threw out, you would have included the last three months, right? And I think if I would have only looked at just the last three months, I think hay prices have, have probably gone up a little more. Actually, corn, I think, has come down a little bit, not by much. Uh I would suspect, oh, diesel price, that for sure has come down over the last 30, 60, 60 days or so. But I think the drought's probably going to continue putting some pressure on the numbers of, of coal animals. So what, so what should we do? Because these are, these are frustrating issues. And just like we face, whether I'm buying groceries for the house or I'm buying fuel for the farm vehicles, I have no control over those input prices. And you guys mentioned it my income is often lagged, right? I'm not selling calves for a few months or I may not sell them till next year, but I still have to live with these prices. What, how, how do you recommend producers handle this? Well, I think we've talked a number of times on this show. Uh, hopefully there was a plan in place, right? I mean, we've, I don't know how many times we've stressed, you know, is there a, a risk management plan for prices? And so hopefully there's been some kind of strategy already that maybe you can implement. You know, we've talked about this drought, we talked about that earlier this year, you know, is there a plan in place in case there is a drought? Do you have source of extra source of forages, pastures? Do you have a list of your cows that you're going to cull kind of in order? And so hopefully we aren't, this isn't, you're not being caught by surprise at this point that it's, we've already got a plan in place and we, we're just now we're starting to implement uh, the plan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important take home message is have a plan. But there's not a lot I can do about some of these input prices and trying to outguess the market is really challenging, right? So should I stockpile in some, and hay's a great example where people have talked about it and I don't know what you guys think. Should I, should I right now, hay's in really short supply, would you buy as much as you can because the price is high or do I kind of wait and see what happens? What would you do in that situation? Well, I think I would definitely be looking for any kind of alternatives I could get such as I might have to use some lower quality hay, you know, um, some detay or something like that that wasn't fertilized, so it doesn't have as much uh, uh, leaf mass and things like that, and then use some other supplements, uh, you know, some protein supplement or something to really offset that. So I might have to kind of think about some different rations, different supplements than I typically do, and doing some price shopping and, and really trying to buy things on a per calorie delivered basis or a per pound of protein delivered basis. Those types of things become even more important when when the, the margins are tight. Different than just buying hay, right? So yeah. I'm not buying by the bale or even by the pound. You're talking about I need to look at it by the calories and the protein that I'm going to get, and I may be supplementing that hay yeah. with some other things. Well, because I may not have options. I may I'm, I may not just have choices out there of, oh, I'll not buy this group of bales and I'll buy that one. It may be the only ones I have available. 
Uh, and then I've got to figure out how best to use them. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a great segue right into our next topic we wanted to talk about, which we wanted to discuss body condition scoring cows. And I'm, I'm going to first start out by when we talk about body condition scoring cows, often it's a one to nine scale with one being very thin, nine being obese. And many of our cows will see in that four, a little thin, five, just right, or six, a little bit fleshy scale. When is the best time during the year to body condition score cows? If you could only pick one time, you only look at them once. Well, yeah, I want to hear what all you guys think. To me, I think the most important time is here right around weaning because you're, well, in a spring calving herd, let me put it that way. In a spring calving herd, it's right around weaning here in the fall because you're going into the the fall, the winter feeding season, this is your highest feed cost of the whole year. And I want to make sure that I can get those cows back into good condition as cheaply as possible so that when I start to calve again next February, March, that they're in optimum body condition score at calving. Bob? Yeah, I agree. This is a good time. My, my real goal is to have them in optimum body condition score as they go into calving. One of the other places where we do body condition score is, you know, few weeks, months, or a month to two months ahead of calving so that I could make sure that they're in good body condition. And if they're not, kind of my last chance to kind of do that. So that's also an important time. But if you do really well now and manage your nutrition well now, that should just be a check to confirm that we're in a good good spot. Right. I agree now too. And kind of for the same reasons that Bob and Philip have already said, you know, now's the time where the energy demands on her probably getting as low as they're going to be through the calving breeding cycle. So especially if I think of those like four body condition, or maybe even if I have some threes, they're starting to get more thin. I can, I can put flesh on them probably more efficiently than I can when I also have, you know, peak lactation or peak gestation going on. So I think as far as when I when I can intervene the most efficiently, I think now is kind of the right time to do that. And the only way you know how to intervene is if you do the body condition score. So, All right. I'll disagree. I'll be disagreeable. So, but if you score them now, this is, and, and we're talking first of September, end of August, we've got a herd that calved in, let's say March, we're weaning calves and we're preg checking. Let's say we're doing that now, which is kind of what you said, right? Uh, I still have potential pasture grazing time. And once I get those calves off, those cows could regain a little bit of weight once they've got their calves weaned. We could have some more grazing. I may not make any action changes until I start feeding winter ration. So I will agree now is the most convenient time to do it. But when do I want to do it is when I can implement that action. Tell me, am I, am I off there, Philip? Well, yeah, I'll disagree a little bit because I think there's things you could do this fall. So as Brian said, the, this, the next two months are the, the lowest energy nutrient requirements that that cow is going to have. She's in, when she's in mid-gestation, so second stage gestation, that's when she's lowest. Uh-huh. And so a cow in good body condition score, I can use some really poor quality forages to, just to keep her and maintain her. So like I can use some... Uh, really mature hay that was put up um, because I know hay is short or I can use crop residues or, or things like that and get and be okay. So that's a, I can make that decision there now, but I'm not going to do that with my thin cows. 
you know, my thin calves, I'm going to sort them off and, and then use um, the rest of my, maybe use the rest of my fall pasture to let them graze and then cheaply get them back up to a body condition score five. And so now when I get into December and I have to start feeding my winter ration, I'm feeding to maintain, not feeding to gain, which reduces that purchase feed cost quite a bit. Because what you're saying is if I'm going against both body condition score and the weather, it's going to be a much steeper climb up that hill. And, and I think absolutely, I, and I agree with what you're saying, the difference is it depends on what kind of ration I'm going on to right now, right? After weaning, and that's going to depend on part of the country because there's part of the countries, the grass is gone, we're out of grass, we're starting to think about feeding. There are other parts of the country that says, hey, I've got fall pasture coming on. Your point's still valid. I may or may not want to supplement depending on what those cows are. So what are my other options? Supplementing's expensive. Any options to make that more efficient? And I'm not talking about just different supplements. What else can I do? Well, I, I'm going to give you a partial answer to agree and disagree is I'm are you agreeing you're agreeing with me and no, disagreeing I'm with never, Philip. no I, I appreciate that <laughs> no. it's that main reason to do body condition scoring in my opinion is to actually do some sorting in the herd to pull off the cows that need more supplement and 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 identify those cows and it, it really goes to what philip was saying is i'm trying to get through the next few months inexpensively knowing that it's the time of year when i'm most i mean because when grass is green and growing uh, cows do great it's now that we're into the, the forage is dormant. It's either hay or it's standing dormant forage. And so that the forage isn't going to be, it's not like green grass. And so I'm probably going to have to supplement it for some of the herd, but I may not have to for all the herd. And so it's really about being able to sort and segregate the cows into the ones that really need some supplementation and those that don't. And just real quick, though, I think we better qualify this conversation because are we talking about September of a normal year or are we talking about September of 2022? Yeah. Because you, Brad, you mentioned, you know, depending on geography, you might not have grass at this time of year anyway. So it's it's a different answer for you. But we're, we're kind of I think we're all kind of talking like we're, we're well, normally in, a, in normal years where we have green grass. And there are parts of the country that even in September normally would that don't now that are getting yeah. to the point where they don't now. So I think maybe we better qualify the conversation a little bit instead of just saying September, we say, OK, when we have green grass in the pasture or when we don't. And it doesn't matter if that happens in August, September, October or November. Right. Yeah. Which so, is all the more reason to to body score your cows. Right. And you guys you guys were saying at preg check whether that's in september october november the nice thing about doing it in a preg check is i've got each cow individually i can get a nice individual score i can also do that at pasture right i mean it is not this is not something they need to be in a shoot for me to get a good body score and the point that was made all three of you had a slightly different time you like to do body score there's no reason we can't do that at all three times. Your your point was, Bob, you want them to be in good shape by breeding season, which means they have to be in good shape at calving. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and so if I had my three favorite times to do body condition score, it would be about the time, and, and you're right, I, I hate to say that, so you might write That's that. That's all right. Down. I already did. Yeah. Uh, so when we say at weaning, a lot of times it's at a time when I'm going to make a change in how the cows are managed. So they're moving to fall pasture or they're moving to a, a dry lot or something like that. So I, I want to have some control over that change. 
And then I want to do a body condition score ahead of calving and again ahead of breeding. And, and those are not evenly distributed a third of the way through the year. They're, they're kind of crunched up between now and breeding season. I'm going to go back to what Brian said, thinking about this year. If we're thinking about a major drought. We're coming into to September of this year. We, you know, we move from doing what we normally do from supplementing to we're, we're feeding. You know, you, and so it's not just about trying to utilize the forage is the best that you've got. It's about trying to put together the cheapest ration. And that's not always... Uh, high forage you know sometimes the cheapest ration is a moderate concentrate ration that you limit feed to those cows um, and so taking like that and the other, the other thing to think about in this type of situation is lots of times you have a failed crop so now what what how can i use that as feed you know you know if I, i'm not my corn's not going to make anything maybe we're a little late in some parts of the country but you know put up for silage or even graze the corn you even graze graze corn and so, you know, thinking about those other feed resources when pasture's gone, but the crop has failed, or maybe the crop is going to produce, but not like it should, maybe it's better off to use it as a feed source than it is to harvest the, the crop. And along with all those things come with, make sure that there's nothing in there that's going to upset the cows they're not ready for. If there are some toxins, we talked about those with Dr. Inslee a couple of weeks ago. There are some of those things that we have to be careful when we're grazing when they're not. And sometimes getting them used to grazing it, like going out to grazing corn is going to be a little bit different than going into stalks after they've, it's already mm-hmm. been harvested. So yeah. make sure that you've got a plan for how you're going to handle those things as you go forward. I do, I do want to talk a little bit more about nutrition, but we'll come back to that on a future episode. But I, I want to turn to Brian and I want to ask about, as we think about, we're going to be processing calves and cows. We just talked about going through it, weaning, we may be pregnancy testing, often vaccinating cows and calves. And a lot of discussion relative to needles, needle size, needle type. Does it really matter? Do, do, can I not just get a one size fits all? Do I really need different size needles for different products and different size animals? No, you probably cannot do a one size fits all. It, and it depends a little bit on what we're talking about. So if if you are only using needles for injection of vaccine in cows, you, you probably can. But if you're giving injections in cows and calves of both vaccines and pharmaceutical products, or possibly even drawing blood from those animals. So if you're talking, you mentioned injections specifically, but um, if, if we're doing any sort of diagnostics where we need a blood sample to do that, it, it may be even a, a different size. So the very, very short answer to the question is, the needle size, and when we talk about size, there are two components of that. One is the the diameter, which we measure in gauge, and then the needle length. Um, and so we need to make sure that both of those are matched to whatever we're doing. Okay. You probably want examples, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I'll, we'll let Bob do that. That's the hard part, right? All right, well, I'll give you my, my favorite. Um, for, for cows and most calves, the, the gauge I most typically use is a 16-gauge is a needle. Occasionally for very young calves, we'll use an 18-gauge, which is a little smaller diameter. Um, and occasionally, if you're drawing blood or doing something else, I might use a, a larger diameter. But, but 16 is kind of my go-to gauge. Uh, when you talk about length, many of our products are available to go under the skin. And so I really like a 3 8 inch or a half-inch needle. 3 8 is my preference. 
uh, or a half inch needle for under the skin injections and then a, a longer needle and this one is a little bit different so uh, adult cows bulls those kinds of things inch and a half is probably my my preferred and if you're talking younger calves maybe an inch and so those are the types of things that i think about i don't know We've got other veterinarians in the room to, to see if you have a different preference. Yeah. Their skin their skin thickness is a lot different between a very young calf, a feeder calf, and a cow. And a bull. And a bull. Yeah. Yeah. I, Bob's right. I think, you know, a 16 to 18 gauge is probably optimal. You may have seen a uh, – probably, the you know, in veterinary medicine, if you're giving – uh, IV fluids to an animal that's sick, especially if it's an adult, you might see a, fort, a veterinarian pull out a 14 gauge needle, which is really, it's a large bore needle um, that might be three to four inches long. I mean, that's kind of the upper size limit. And go, that's not a needle. This yeah, is a- yeah, it's, it's, it's a big piece of aluminum. Um, you know, and for really, really small calves, uh, I, I think, you know, a 20 by half inch is probably the smallest. So that's kind of your range. And Anywhere in between, I said, the the big thing for me is what's the uh, viscosity of the product matters, right? And so most of the vaccines that are water-based are not very viscous at all, and you can get away with a smaller gauge needle. Uh, Some of the products we use are are very viscous, and you want to use that larger bore needle just to be able to administer them. And the length of it, for me, length is probably the bigger deal. Because if we don't, if we're too short, we may not get the product where it's intended to go. So if it's a product that's meant to be administered intramuscular, then we want to make sure it gets in the muscle because blood flow might be different and the product's efficacy might be affected. And if we get too long, especially if we're working large numbers of animals, we start to run the risk of breakage. And we, we absolutely don't want an adulterated meat product with a broken needle in it. So, and larger bore will help with that. You know, and the other thing, since we're talking about needles, we should talk about is, you know, how often should you change them? And and that also depends a little bit on your herd status. If you have uh, bloodborne diseases, potentially anaplasmosis, yonis, uh, leukosis, fire, if you know you have those in your herd and you're trying to prevent spread within the herd, you may end up changing every single animal. Um, for most other routine operations, um, you know, kind of their minimal numbers of changes, you know, you might be looking at five to 10 animals, something like that, I think is reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. And if it gets burred or damaged, then you change it before then. And it is something that is actually pretty important because that needle is going to influence getting the product in the right spot so that it can be effective. If you have questions on the specifics, we threw out several specifics relative to needle size relative to gauge and length. The Beef Quality Assurance Manual has all of those things well detailed and it will align with what products you're giving and to what size animal. So I'd recommend looking that up because it is important. Thanks for joining us again today. And if, as always, if you have questions, comments, anything you'd like us to talk about, send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.